Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, and the podcast is in partnership with PR Daily, which is the preeminent brand for public relations professionals delivering news, advice, opinions, and benchmarking via PRDaily.com. Join me there to find more episodes for the podcast. And if you like the podcast, please do leave a review and share it with your colleagues so that more folks can find it online. Thanks so much. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today's episode is episode two of Female Broadcasters. Dana Perino, who so many of you will know as the co-anchor of America's Newsroom and co-host of The Five. Dana, thank you. Thank you so much for making time for the Friday Reporter. I am honored to be here. Um, Will will I be the first guest to ever call you Moose? Um, Well, there have been a few other New Jersey friends, so there may or may not have been a Moose, but you may, may always call me Moose. Great. I have fond memories of working with you back in the Bush administration. and it's great to reconnect. So thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. Of course. Well, I, you know, I've told so many of my friends, you and I have had so many intersections in our career, but it's just such an honor to catch you now at this time when you're doing what you're doing. The, um, the interesting thing to me, so my friend Dana Perino, who's today's guest, has also not only been a superstar for Fox News for all of these years, but she's also authored two really tremendous books. And I have to really touch on that right out of the gate, because what I love about what you do, Dana, is not only are you this tremendous broadcaster doing the good work that you do, you're also giving back to a lot of young women and really just young people in our business who want to get started. And so I just admire that so much about you. I hoped maybe... Would you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got started in this business that you're in today? Sure, sure. Honored. Thank you. So, mm, you know, but I, I'm, I'm 50 now. And I'm, me I too. Back and I think, <laughs> I think, gosh, you know, would I have studied something, would I would have chosen to, to study something else when I w- um, went, went to college? And, and I think maybe yes, the answer is yes, but I still think I would have ended up doing what I'm doing because... I always loved the news, even from when I was a little kid. My earliest political memory is watching Ronald Reagan's inauguration. And I remember very distinctly watching the hostages get released in Iran. Right. And then when I was in third grade, my dad started a tradition with me where I had to read the Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post every day before he got home from work. And I had to choose two articles to discuss before dinner. And this became one of my favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. And I could choose an article about anything, you know, dinosaurs, butterflies, sure. snow plows, whatever it might be. And then my dad would walk me through, you know, why did you choose the article? What did you think about it? And maybe challenge my thinking gently, you know. And I, I remember when I was White House press secretary at one point being on Marine One where the president was asking a few of us for our thoughts on an issue that he was wrestling with. And I think Carl Rove, I know Carl Rove was there, maybe Barry Jackson, something. And he asked everybody their opinion. And my, I had a different opinion than the, than the guys. Hmm. And I felt confident you know, telling him what I thought. But I was like, well, I'm really in the minority here. And I'll never forget that just as we were about to land, he looked at all of them and said, she's exactly right. That's what we're doing. Wow, what a compliment. And I was like, I had this flashback of thinking about my dad helping me all those years before when I was eight or nine years old 
to start to be able to be comfortable expressing myself and my thoughts in front of a dominant male figure. You don't get much more dominant than the president of the United States, the commander in chief. Sure. And so I, I look back to that and I think that's kind of where it started. Mm. We were a big news family. We would read, we subscribed to all the papers and the magazines. You know, back then there was U.S. News and World Report, Newsweek, Time. Um, I'm forgetting one that we used to get as well. Um, National Review, my dad always got that as well. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, as I got older, I joined the speech team. And then he and I would leave articles for each other, you know, um, maybe dog ear a page or say, hey, did you read George Will? Did you read this? Did you read that? And I still do that today. So I feel incredibly fortunate that the thing that I love is news Mm -hmm. and I get to actually work in news. And that is an an incredible thing. So that's really how I got started. Mm -hmm. I thought that I would always be doing, you know, what I'm doing now is what I wanted to do when I first went to college. I just took this multi-year detour and worked in Washington, D.C., worked in public relations for a small PR firm, a mid-sized PR firm, a giant PR firm, started my own PR firm. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, it just wasn't a great fit for me after the White House years. And when I had multiple things on my plate, options, you know, when I left the White House, the only thing I loved to do every day was when Fox News called and said, would you mind coming on? You know, at 7 p.m. tonight, we're going to talk about X or Y. Right. And I would, I found that I always made time for that. Uh-huh. And I, I love the challenge of it. So even though I took a very circuitous route to get to what I'm doing now, this is always what I wanted to do. And I feel like I have the best of both worlds. I get to be a, uh, an anchor in the mornings with a really wonderful and generous colleague in Bill Hemmer. And we do the news every morning from 9 to 11. Mm-hmm. And then from 5 to 6... I talk about the news mm-hmm. with really good friends and in a way that is, you know, we, we don't take ourselves that seriously, no. <laughs> we take the issue seriously, but we have some fun as well, which is pretty fun for me. I'll never forget Brian Kilmeade one time. He was filling in for Greg Gutfeld and I said something on the five and we went to commercial break and Brian said, you know, Dana, all those years you were press secretary, I never knew you were funny. That's not that necessarily a funny, a funny well, job. I didn't laugh a lot. I mean, we were we were joyous in our work, but there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of laughing. And of course, we were at war. Right. Um, but I credit my colleagues here and my bosses actually for giving me some rain to run and to be myself. And the, the most important thing I can do is keep updated on the news, but to bring some energy to that five o'clock show. Well, and it it, it certainly shows. It shows in everything that you do. I, I have it's to great say, to be a part of it. I mean, the, the, I've just I've never been happier than I am now at at, at Fox. I think it's just. A really good mix for me. Mm-hmm. I love doing election night coverage. Um, I think we have a really, really good team. We're tight knit, and it reminds me a lot of our White House team at, at the time, and, yeah. and not just White House, but the entire um, administration, where you had hard charging, smart colleagues working together for a common purpose. Yeah. Well, it shows in your work, and I'll say this Thank about you, you as having been a, a friend and also an admirer for all these years. The one thing I'll say about you that that comes out in, in the in, not only in the work that you do in broadcast, but also in the books that you've written, is that you're the, always the best read person in the room, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, as a communicator, a lot of times when I'm advocating for a client, I will I can get so far, um, but then I then I, I'm famous for saying to the journalist, "But I'm not the expert. You need to talk to the expert." 
the one thing that always struck me when you were behind the podium at the White House and, and even today in the work that you do is that you really have a strong depth of the policy itself too, Dana. And that is to me, I think just you can walk and chew gum, right? You can do the communication, yeah. but you can also speak to that, the policy of that as well, which I think is really important in the work that you do, not only in the morning, but then yes, you know, in the afternoon when you're talking about, you know, sort of how, what impact mm-hmm. this news is having on the world, it's, it, it's reflective of that. That's interesting that you say that. And thank you. I, that is not something I was taught in college, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first went to Capitol Hill and I'm working for a congressman who was the chairman of the Energy and Power Subcommittee, I'll never forget my first press call was from a reporter who worked for Energy Daily. And he asked me, what did, the, what did my congressman think about the FERC Meganoper? Oh, gosh. I was like, what, what did he say? So I said, pardon me? He said, what does a congressman think about the FERC Meganoper? And I had to say, I'm sorry, could you spell that for me? I had no idea what the FERC was. It's a Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Right, right. Uh, it was like my first four-letter F word in government. <laughs> um, Meganoper, I'm like, what is that? That's a big notice of proposed rulemaking. I had very patient chiefs of staff and legislative assistants who would walk me through the policy. And you know what? There's no shortcut. You just have to actually learn it. Yeah. And I found that I loved that part of it. So it, it, when, I, when I think about going back um, to college, if I were to do it again, I do think I would take more classes in maybe business mm-hmm. and history. Sure. And maybe even a little bit of philosophy, right? Because I feel like those classes help you think yeah. and help you write. Right. A lot of that work I had to do post-school, mm-hmm. post-college. Because I thought that I, I was like, anybody can do the news. Well, no, that's not true. Um, <laughs> and the reason I try to be the most well-read person in the room is that I've always found that that's my competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. But it's also done something great for me in terms of socially and with friends. So mm-hmm. I always, always, back in our day, uh, when you had the hard copy newspaper, if mm-hmm. I found an article that I thought somebody might be interested in, I'd cut it out of the paper, either mail it to them or drop it on their desk or something. But now that's much easier. You can send an article that says, oh my gosh, I thought of you when I, when I read this. Right. And you, you know, people are touched by that. Mm-hmm. They if, are. if you remember something about them, maybe it's about a little league team or something like that. And I continue to do that. That's a, one of my great joys actually, is to read as much as I can um, but also every day I wake up, Lisa, and I feel like I know less than I did the day before. Mm. And I, f- I feel like I'm always trying to catch up. I have so much to read. Um, what do you do? What What do you read? Because you must get up very early in order to be ready for that nine yeah, o'clock time a, block. You know, doing a morning show that you're a 4.30 a.m. wake up, mm-hmm. um, which I think is better. When I was press secretary, I woke up at 4.12 without an alarm. Wow. But 412. <laughs> so now I'm more like a 430, 440 person. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, there's so many great resources now with yeah. um, newsletters. But one of the great things at Fox is that there is a compilation of news that comes around in the morning, like before I wake up even, like that comes around at the beginning of the 4 a.m. hour. Oh, wow. That's um, awesome. And that's like domestic policy issues mm-hmm. or editorials and op-eds all in one place. So I can still be in bed, rub the sleep out of my eyes and like scroll through. That's a awesome. A lot of the stuff I feel like maybe I had read the night before because I just pretty much try to read all. Or, you know, in, in dieting, they say that you should maybe just sort of graze all day rather than having like three big meals. Yeah. I feel like that's my reading diet. That sounds right. I'm constantly scrolling, reading. Um, I have, I've always had, oh gosh, maybe since I worked on Capitol Hill, a weekend reading folder. So 
into that folder goes articles I really want to read but have nothing to do with my immediate work that day. Right. And then I have articles that I want to read later in the day that aren't necessarily immediate news for America's newsroom, but I might want to know about it before the five. Um, and I try to do a good mix of both human interest stories, feature stories, and then like some of those really hard to read policy things yeah. <laughs> that take a little bit of more time. Yeah. But I find I find that a lot of the newsletters are super helpful. You know, I like oh, yeah. um, John Ellis's news items. I think it's invaluable. Uh, the Wide World of News uh, by Mark Halpern. I think that is a Substack that's excellent. I get the Ops Desk, which is about law enforcement. It's fantastic by a friend of mine named Paul Morrow. I still glance at Political Playbook and Axios. I like Punchbowl News. I like their podcast in mm -hmm. particular. I find it very helpful in the morning, like a quick, yep. quick hit. Yep. Um, and then at night and on the weekends, I read fiction. I read a lot of fiction. Do you? Anything that's it. anything that stands out that you've re oh my read? Oh yes, I've had a great sort of last few weeks. Um, okay. I read a book called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. I've heard about it. I heard it was awesome. It's fabulous. It's really really good. Um, and it's it's about uh, all these books are about relationships, right? But you also in that book learn a lot about the gaming industry or mm -hmm. at the sort of the beginning of the gaming industry. And I don't have children. I got to tell you, I know nothing about the gaming industry. <laughs> But I, I respect how big it is. Mm -hmm. It is huge industry. So I loved that book. Um, I also keep a note list. I, I keep a list in my notes. Excuse me. Let me just pull it up real quick to tell you two other books. That's okay. That yeah, please do. The notes on your phone, you mean? Because that's where my list lives. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I'm I'm listening to, to a couple of different books right now. And I love this book by Maggie, Fer Maggie O'Farrell. She's Scottish. And she's the one who wrote Hamnet which is one of the favorite novels that I read last year. That book is so incredible, Hamnet. Okay. And then her nonfiction work, her biography is called I Am, I Am, I Am. And I really, really loved that book. Awesome. And then I'm just going to look through real quick. I didn't have a great reading year last year. Freshwater for Flowers, highly recommend it. Um, I read America, A Redemption Story by Senator Tim Scott, and then I interviewed him for that book. I thought that was an excellent book. A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Can you believe I never read that until last year? And then I listened to that book, and it was like the best story time ever. Um, and then I read The Venice Sketchbook, which I, I loved. I had a chance to go to Venice and Vienna over the holiday. So those are just a few on my mind right now. Oh, my gosh, so many good ones. So many good ones. But when I, uh, I was in Washington, D.C., I always recommend to people to read, um, I think what I saw at the Revolution by Peggy Noonan was a huge staple for me. And it still rings true. There's two young women who work here at Fox who I had a chance to get to know on a trip to California. And I recommended they read this book by Peggy Noonan that was written after she worked in the Reagan White House. And oh, wow. it still stands up today. And the great news is she went back and Peggy herself read the audiobook. Oh, no kidding. So people like audiobooks and you like to sort of listen to a great storyteller. Peggy Noonan reads that aloud. That's great to know. That's great to know. Oh, my gosh. The other Thank one you I so highly much. recommend is Marlon Fitzwater, Call the Briefing. I think my memoir is pretty good about the White House years, but Marlon Fitzwater's is just outstanding. I love it. That's so good. So I've started putting together a list, like a like a the bookshelf, like the Friday Reporter bookshelf of books that folks have read. And so I periodically will ask, what are you reading? What's keeping you busy? 
um, because I, I do read quite a bit myself. Um, and I love that. I absolutely love that. So thank you for all of those great recommendations. I have a few, I have one, um, I have been reading a little bit of nonfiction. I have, speaking of people who are experts in, uh, video games, I have a 16 and a 15 year old, uh, son and daughter who live in my house. So if you ever need a quick catch up, they're right here. They're they they're your, how to use the remotes. For my oh, I don't know. No, I don't think so. At 50, I'm 52, Dana. I, mean, I don't think, I think, I feel like we just are like genetically not programmed to be able to do that the way so they do. You know what? I won't turn on the TV. I'll just read. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So tell me, okay, so here you're doing, you're in New York now. Uh, left Washington, D.C., but still, like, the world feels so close now. I mean, with the internet and with the world as it is, like, it feels very close. What story stands out to you as something that you are especially proud of having reported on? Like, is there something that sticks out at you that really you feel like defined your, um, whether it's your career, or is there something that sort of, that, because, well, there's been so many big stories. I mean, obviously, the, I can, I could rattle off a dozen, and you could rattle off more. You mean, since I've been at Fox? Yeah. I I would say there's a couple. Um, Benghazi, mm-hmm. because immediately we kept saying who pushed the video, right? The video was not what caused the terror attack. So a linchpin of that story was who pushed the video. And I'll never forget Greg Gutfeld and I, every single night we would ask who pushed the video. We even mm-hmm. made T-shirts. We wore T-shirts, <laughs> who pushed the video. And, you know, because I was so upset, they framed the video maker and he didn't have a chance even to defend himself. And it, he he didn't cause the riot. Mm-hmm. And so I was just so disturbed that we would say that somebody who made a video would actually cause a terrorist attack. So there was that one. That actually does stick out to me. Yeah. Another one um, was I was early on had said to a few folks at Fox, like, there's a Veterans Affairs scandal here. It's coming. Remember all of this that happened? This was maybe like 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. And the veterans were, so, were being so ignored. And... That story did end up breaking, and I feel like I do have a sense for what could be coming down the pike or seeing around a corner. Mm -hmm. And then I believe that Bill Hemmer and I, along with all of our other colleagues here at Fox, but just when you ask me about my my work, I think that our coverage of the Biden-Afghanistan withdrawal debacle was top-notch. Partly also that was that our our news hour from 9 to 11, if you think that Afghanistan, I think, is eight hours ahead of us. Mm -hmm. Happened so right the, then. The, the day was winding down, and then and we we had great guests. Um, we were able to, you know, with with my knowledge of DC and Bill's knowledge of having covered several war zones. Yeah, he has incredible um, DOD, like sort of military hardware knowledge. Interesting. I am better on that sort of the diplomacy and, and the politics. Right. And also his ability on geography is astounding, and that really helped. We brought that story to life for our viewers, and that. That story, for as horrible as it was to cover in terms of how sad the situation was, yeah. um, on a Friday night you finish, and it was one of those things where you felt good about the work that you did. I think that was that was another one. Oh, that's awesome. And then I think that the election coverage at Fox has been incredible, led by Brett Baer and Martha McCallum. And we have just an incredible group of reporters right now. And on, a, on election night, we, we continue to win. Uh, the ratings on election night, and I feel like it's because, one, we have the expertise, we've built trust with our audience, and I remember also when we were sitting there waiting for some of the results to come in, we had some laughs. Yeah. And nobody else was laughing anywhere. <laughs> no, nowhere to be found. So uh, I feel like those probably are the ones that stick out the most. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
for folks like you and me who really do do this and have done this for some time, it's also, it shows in your work when you're really doing something you love. So the reporting that you've done on those stories, I'm going to go back myself and take a peek at a few of them because I remember you doing that work. But now that you've sort of highlighted them, I'd like to go back and watch it again because I feel like that's just, well, I just, I, I admire the work you do, but I also feel like you do spend a lot of time living in real life on, on television, right? I mean, as stories are breaking, as news is coming through. So you really have to be ready and prepared to have a reaction that is, you know, not outsized, a reaction that's, you know, based yeah. in history. I'll tell you something else that was pretty interesting is the first day of the daily briefing show, which was uh, at 2 PM for a while, two or three years, two mm-hmm. years. Um, the, that was going to be my first solo news anchoring opportunity. It was going to start on October 2nd of 2017 and so that weekend before, I studied all weekend and I worked hard on making sure that the right. guests were perfect. And I, ha- I like wrote all these questions for the guests. And right before I went to bed, I looked at my phone one last time, as you do, but probably shouldn't. I said, huh, it looks like there's been a shooting in Las Vegas. Huh. Oh, and then wow. I put my phone down and I went to bed and I woke up and what was it? 350 people had been gunned down. Yeah. Uh, in that, and I think there were 50 or, or more deaths. Wow, so that was on the first and day of the daily briefing? It was on the very first day of the show, so that oh, basically wow. I learned to tear up the script, and it was breaking news, mm-hmm. and uh, again, it's sad as can be. It's horrendous, Yeah, but it's also, as a news person, you're like, you just want to do the best you can in getting the story to the viewer. Absolutely. And I felt so supported by the reporters that we had, and I think the shooting's that you know it's it's it is hard there there are some weekends when i feel like it's quite heavy and mm-hmm. one of the most important things that i can do and i learned this also from condi rice in 43 is you have to physically work out to get the stress off mm-hmm. like there's no other way that a human can actually let some things go unless you actually burn it off i'm so glad you said so that i totally really advocate to that for everyone yeah. you know from from my children on i mean you just have to move Absolutely true. Absolutely true. So in in the book, the second book, Everything Will Be Okay, there's a lot of really good advice for young people. And the part of the reason why I felt like this would be a good month for female broadcasters, especially is because just two weeks ago, we lost Barbara Walters, Judy Woodruff signed off on the exact same day. Um, there are so many amazing pioneers that have come before us. But your work is very busy. I mean, you it's really hard to carve out time to give advice to to young people yourself. Talk to me a little bit about about the book and how how it all came together for you. And and I know you did a big book tour, although COVID sort of yeah. interfered so, with some of that. Yeah, it, it sure did. It sure did. <laughs> well, in the first book I wrote, um, it was called And the Good News Is Lessons and Advice from the Bright Side. Chapter five of that book was all my mentoring advice in one place. I remember that. I do feel an obligation to give back. I think all of us do. But Mm -hmm. I was the first Republican White House press secretary, woman, excuse Mm -hmm. me. Female, yeah. (laughs) I would get so many requests to get together for coffee. I was like, I can't have, I I could never drink this much coffee in my life. (laughs) And I also realized that most of the people who wanted to meet with me for mentoring advice, they all had the same questions. Yeah. So I said, let me just put this all in one place. Yeah. And... Take, well, then that part of the book, in addition to the sort of behind the scenes of what it was like working for 43, um, it, it got so popular. And a lot of people were asking, is there more? When are you going to write another one? But it was mostly just the advice part that people wanted. Right. 
And I started realizing like, wow, these young people that are coming to me are so anxious. Mm -hmm. They're so worried. Yeah. And one thing I have learned is that I, as a, I tend to worry. I don't worry as much as I used to, but I worried my twenties away completely. Absolutely. Oh now, yeah. Maybe that, maybe that worry helped me get me where I am today. But actually when I look back, I think, oh, wow. I was worrying about something that I didn't need to worry about because it all did work out and everything will be okay. Right. And that's the first thing that you hear from your mother. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing a mother says to their baby. Absolutely. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. Everything will be okay. And you, I remember being in a grocery store and watching this mother telling her kid, everything will be okay. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is the thing that all of us need to hear. That's right. So I start writing the book. I write the book. COVID happens. And it comes out in March of 2021, and a lot of people thought I wrote it because of COVID. And oh, I obviously didn't, but it just, it, you know what, it landed at the right time yeah. for a lot of people. And the advice in it is, I think, caring, but it's pretty blunt mm-hmm. as well. I mean, I don't have a lot of time right. to mess around. If I were to write and, a book, Dana, it has all the good advice. I mean, all of that in there is yeah. the good advice that we as young women in Washington, D.C. and in New Jersey, where I came up, this is the advice that you hear, but it, no, no one has assembled it in a way that you have. And so I oh, have to thanks. tell you, like, it. my mom read it and she said, wow, oh, I wish I'd had this when I was absolutely starting out. Right. So that's why I do it. Right. There's t- in fact, when I'm finished with you, I have a 10 minute turnaround and then I'm meeting with another young woman who is looking for advice because she just came off a campaign. She wants to know what she should do next. And um, I, I just feel a real obligation and I get a lot of joy out of giving people a little bit of guidance. Yeah. Well, you're a beacon for a lot of people. I mean, you're an example of, I mean that sincerely, my friend. I mean, you are, you've done a lot of the things that we all hope that we can do, but you've also, you're giving back. And that's, I think, what's so incredibly generous of you in the work that you've done, not only, you know. know, Fox has been a great outlet for me too, because they have supported me uh, one in my books, but and in my career, uh, in the podcast that I do, the Everything Will Be Okay seasonal podcast I do every year. Um, and also, you know, next week, just internally here at the company, I'm going to be leading a mentoring panel discussion for employees, for the new employees of the company. And I have an outlet for it here. And that's, that's really great. That's so awesome. That is so awesome. I'm so glad. Well, I am getting to the point where we're getting towards the end of our conversation, but I can't let you go without you telling me about Mr. Percy, the newest Vishla in your house. Well, yes, I'm so glad that I've had dogs in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I are, have been married 25 years this year. Oh, and happy anniversary. when we got Percy, we realized that we had only been without a dog in our life a total of 17 weeks. Oh, wow. Out of that 25 <laughs> years. We had Henry, mm-hmm. uh, then Jasper, and mm-hmm. now Percy. Yep. Um, and, you know, that brings a lot of joy and lift to the house. I remember... Laura Bush doing an interview and somebody said, why did you want to have the pets at the White House? And she said, because pets make a house a home. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's so true, though. And it's true. It it takes the edge off and everybody can like it brings a family together. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm not the only one. When Peter and I go out to dinner, we just talk about Percy and it's hilarious that (laughs) this is what we do. But I I feel like it's God's gift to us that we have these uh, pets in our life that can help us remember about unconditional love and companionship and grace and also just laughter well it's and the, care right and absolutely it's not easy because they don't they don't live as long as we do right um, right so we have to have care for them and dominion over them percy 
is very athletic, very thin, the thinnest dog I ever had. Really? I just saw Tyrus. Mm-hmm. I showed him a picture. I said, what do you think? He said, that's how a dog's supposed to look. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm like, okay. All right. I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't figure out a way to show some ribs. Oh, that's so funny. Well, and, and you and I bonded years ago, not only over all of the things, right? Because we became friends. Oh my gosh, girl, it's 20 years now, but yeah, you probably knew what the FERC mega nober was but when I met you. I'm not, I don't know about that. That that one, I'm not sure even today I'd have to go back and reflect, but we, I had a Weimaraner at the time and I now have a Weimaraner and a German short hair pointer. But to your point, Jason and I also have had three dogs over the course of our relationship and that they're always these very busy athletic dogs. But what I love about you is that you have this big public life where you're in front of the camera but then your social content is filled with the face of this adorable little little pupper that is just he's so cute frankly that's actually helped me um connect with people i I don't want to talk about politics no i I, I have a rule i don't talk about politics at the dog park good idea everyone loves their pets and it's a great equalizer it's a great way for everyone to come together and I'm look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be somebody who's taking a lot of selfies of myself and putting them on. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a young person. Um, but I find that the dog content works for me. And if people don't like it and they unfollow me, I, that's fine. It's just a dog. He's just a great, happy, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Well, Dana, as I get to the end of the conversation today, number one, thank you. Thank you again for all your time. But I have to ask, can you please recommend someone as a future guest for the podcast? It's interesting you say that. I'm going to recommend some. This is why does she come to me? I don't know. My first college, my first Capitol Hill roommate is uh, a woman named Danielle Dobin. Oh, my. I cannot even imagine. She's going to be like, what are you doing recommending me? But this is an incredible woman. We bonded over books. She worked in the Clinton White House. I worked on Capitol Hill on the Republican side. We have been friends since 1995, six, mm. I think. And she lives in Connecticut. I can help you get in touch with her. She's a mother of two boys. I've just witnessed um, one of them go through the college application process, and he got his dream. He'll be going to Northwestern. Oh, wow. Um, I'm so impressed with her as a uh, mom mm-hmm. and a business owner. And now she also has decided uh, she has been on the city council there in her town of Westport. I think it's city council. Um, but she decided, you know, throw her hat in the ring and be a part of the community and run office. And she's a a terrific person with terrific. Oh, I mean, just, she's got great advice for all people of all walks of life. So I'm going to recommend Danielle Dobin. I love it. I love it. And this, and that's the way that, you know, as we do news, when people come to you, they'll take, you'll take a meeting. If someone says, Oh, this is Lisa's friend. And you'll say, okay, well, I know Lisa, she checks out. So I'm going to talk to her. And that's really how the podcast has come to be almost a hundred episodes because of all the great recommendations I've had. So I, I will well, tell Danielle, I love it. Well, I'm honored that you have found a few minutes for me in your busy day, Dana. And thank you. Thank you again so much for joining me. You're so welcome. And that's today's Friday Reporter podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.